0: Hello, and welcome to another mini-sode of Movies We Dig, the podcast about films, antiquity, and everything in between. I'm Hannah Bazenol. And I'm Christy Vogler.
1: And today we're joined by another former student of mine and our special guest, Emma Coffey. Welcome, Emma. Yeah! Hello. <laughs> I was trying to like just put some applause in there because otherwise it's super awkward. But this is not actually Emma's first time on our show either. We talked to her about the Horrible Histories movie, which you can find on our website or wherever you get your podcasts. For today, though, we'll be taking a quick look at episode seven of Disney's Percy Jackson and the Olympians, a show adapted from Rick Gordon's 2005 book, The Lightning Thief. This is officially the Catabasis episode as well.
0: Like usual, we'll be conducting a shovel test of this series by giving a brief overview of the episode and providing some information on the ancient sources from which Warden drew on to tell these stories. Once the season wraps, we'll have Lige and Colin in here to discuss these series in its entirety.
1: So before we get into the particular episode, Emma, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and then what's your personal history with Percy Jackson?
2: Yes. Yeah, so hi, everyone. My name is Emma. And like Dr. Vogler said, or Christy said, I'm a former student of hers. I actually went to a University of Lynchburg and I'm currently a first-year master's student at the University of Tennessee in Knoxville, and I'm studying historical archaeology. Percy Jackson holds a very special place in my heart. I grew up with it in elementary school. It really got me into reading when I was younger, and I'm loving the Disney series so far. I have like my own personal issues with it in some cases, but overall, I think it's a pretty decent adaptation. Much better than the movie. Yeah, I think that's been
1: the general consensus.
2: (laughs) Is that it's been better than the
1: movie, although um, we're going to end up revisiting the movie eventually, so
2: we'll see
0: how fondly (laughs) any of us remember it. I've actually kind of... It's like, now that we have a good adaptation, I can appreciate it for the bad adaptation it is. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Like, now it's just a little silly. Before it was a blight on God's earth. (laughs) Yeah, it kind of reminded me of the, the
1: conversation we had with Colin about the mud in this. and I think that's what I, why I'm partly sad that Rorden pushes back so hard against the movie, because it is kind of like, it's part of what you know if you're immersed in the Percy Jackson world. You know the terrible line from Medusa, you know the Lady Gaga song at the casino, and like just having little hints of that in this series would have been nice or like a cameo from the former actors that also popularized it. So it's weird that Rorden wants so much kind of control of the story this time. I say not necessarily weird. I understand why he wants to do that, but I think he's almost a little too bitter about it. And like he's not giving his fans a chance to embrace the good and the bad of the entire rordan verse
0: well before we had the show the movie was universally hated there were like a few things where we like okay they ate there but until now now that we have like a good adaptation there was no love for the movie it was not considered a good movie fans didn't like it rick rordan didn't like it we found it funny that he didn't like it because we all agreed like as one that it was so bad so like I actually kind of get it before. Now it's just like I said, now it's just kind of goofy. Before it was like a bastardization of his life's work.
1: Yeah, I'd be better too. I could see some fun spoofs coming up off of like the original cast members reacting to the new set, like because they have asked the former cast members about the new series. And I think they've been very positive about it, obviously, but I could see some. Some weird spoofs being created by the fanverse at some point about making fun of the old movie and vice versa. So yeah, Hannah, can you give the audience a breakdown of episode seven and let us know if you dig it?
0: I dig it. It might be my favorite episode. I leave room for episode eight to take that place. Um, so yeah, the kids terrorize a small business owner until they can use his back door They get to Hades. Grover gets temporarily eaten by a dog and fucks up the plan almost immediately. Not his fault. Sorry, Grover, baby boy. They get split up again for some godforsaken reason. And Annabeth has to go ahead and teleport out because of the regret that's alluded to being about Medusa. Mm -hmm. They almost get dragged into a pit by an unforeseen evil, and then they have terrible negotiation skills with someone who looks a lot like Ryan Reynolds to me. Like, I thought that was Ryan Reynolds when I saw Hades. And then they they end up on a beach, right? Facing off against Ares? Like, that's the cliffhanger? Yes right at the end okay which i'm
1: glad i'm glad to have Ares back because he was he was very fun as well
0: oh well i guess small note um they do discover that this was a setup the entire time and Kronos was behind everything just a small detail though no big deal and his mom is turned into gold which is parallels is that uh well no, in the book she's like in like a fiery little orb okay why not do that because
1: percy was turned into gold Ah, that's true that is true It it all is the Midas touch sort of thing happening. Emma, did you dig this episode? And why or why not?
2: I did. I, I really liked the whole underworld representation just because that is not how I imagined it when I read the books as a kid. It always felt much darker and gloomier. But like the scene where they're running up and down the sand, I'm like, this feels awfully bright for the underworld. So I really liked that because mm-hmm. I thought it was interesting and new to me at least.
1: Yeah, the actual catabasis, the travel to the underworld was was really cool. And I liked all of it. I like that you point out that you had a sense it would be darker, but what they really went for as the aesthetic was gray, because it was always described by the ancient Greeks as like the gray place, like very Ooh. like somewhere between dark and light, right? Um mm-hmm. and I thought they actually nailed the atmosphere really well in that regard. Okay. Eventually, I am going to talk about the Medusa setup and everything again, because I am very upset that I feel like we didn't get the payoff promised. Um, And Hannah's right. It could it could show up in book eight, but I'll explain why I'm upset. But I do want to first talk about like what I really loved. I loved Procrusty's um, waterbed shop. I thought that was excellent. Like I said, it was kind of a nostalgia memory for me to see all those waterbeds. It was really weird because I'm like, okay. But as a son of Poseidon, that makes perfect sense for Procrestes. Um, and then, gosh, just about everything about the underworld. I really enjoyed. I liked Charon, too, where you don't really see his face. And he has the dog whistle. with I, And I'm pretty sure it was like knuckle bones or something that he was using. Like all the design and attention to detail were so good. Mm-hmm. Well, because we have found bones like that at Ganjavecchio. They were pig bones that have holes in them that we're pretty sure were like intentionally drilled in or something. We have no idea what they're about. There have been other instances at sites where whistles have been made or other types of early instruments are carved out of bone. So I, I thought that was a really cool touch. And then, yeah, I found Hades wholly delightful. So I have, I have one little clip of him really quick that I'll play for us to listen
0: to. You really don't want the bolt. Why would I want that? Start a war
2: between your brothers. Why would I want that? Jealousy. I don't know if you noticed, but it's all candy canes and rainbows down here. I'm managing just fine. I don't really do jealous. My brothers on the other hand have the market cornered on jealous. Family drama is why I don't go up there anymore. These grudges, they go on forever. Super unhelpful.
1: I like this take on Hades because I feel it's a swing back from what Disney's Hercules did to Hades,
0: which was to really... It's a swing back from what Rick did to Hades.
1: I was curious. Yeah. Can you guys tell me a bit about the description of Hades in this meeting? Because I feel like they changed a lot
0: here, didn't they? That's a whole new man at this point. All right. Well, give me the info. Hades in the book is very much like a tired middle-aged man. Like, a single mom who works two jobs, who loves her kids and never stops. I would argue that he's one of the better parents out of the Olympians. Yeah, he actually loves his kids. Who will see? Ooh, spoiler. Um, But it's very much like, first of all, he does. he He is every uncle that didn't get invited to, like, the after party for their nephew's graduation and is just holding on to that bitter resentment about it. He's like, yeah, I'm down here because they put me down here. They kicked me out. Mm-hmm. anyways his whole reasoning is he's like i don't want war we're understaffed i'd have to hire more people we don't have the money yeah i thought it made a lot of logical sense in that regard i was like why would i want that the things you liked i mean i liked them but they were actually like more big changes from the books first of all when we see Krusty, they find for Krusty's and his shop by like they're going around the streets of la and they start to get harassed by some hooligans on the street So they run into Krusty's just to like get away from them because that's when they find out that Celestial Bronze does not work on mortals. (laughs) Oh, okay. Because they're like, I have a gun. They're like, I have a sword. And they're like, no, no, you don't. So they can't see it. Okay. Wait, they might be able to see it. I can't remember. Sorry. I can't remember off the top of my head. They might be able to see it. But either way, it doesn't touch them. Okay. Yeah, so they run in there. Annabeth and Grover just kind of like collapse on the beds because Krusty is, you know, being a creep. And it's Percy who actually figures out that something is up. They don't go in there mm-hmm. knowing this. <laughs> and then Percy decapitates him. Slay. Okay. Um, <laughs> That is good
1: to know because that's going to go into my diatribe later, so.
0: No, I know exactly what you were thinking about. I made notes when I was watching it. I was like, really? They let this guy live? <laughs> exactly. Out of all of them? Exactly. They leave him trapped. In order to
1: just let anyone continue to be chopped up by the man. He is like one of our first literary serial killers ever. And they're like, yeah, this guy will let go.
0: We got things to do. Annabeth says like, you're lucky we're letting you keep your head. Yeah, literally, because in the books, he cuts off his head as they should. Although that brings up the question of, like, did Procrustes, if Procrustes is a demigod, did he become immortal? And if he became immortal, how did he achieve godhood? And did he become a monster? Like, why, like, would that just be, like, killing another demigod or killing a monster? Actually, maybe that's why they didn't do that now that I think about it. I mean, that would have been a little too
1: close to actual murder, right? Because, like, that not that yeah, the, exactly. the problem with all the demigod kids is they can all die, and they usually all die relatively young?
0: Yeah, so, interesting. Now that I think about it. Yeah. Maybe that's why they didn't kill him, because that's a little too close to murder. Yeah, don't say. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: but it's okay, because it happened to Medusa.
1: And, like, that. I guess that's a question about Medusa then, too, because she was... Human, right? Like, she was fully human, transformed by Athena. So, like, is Athena what turned her into a monster then? I would assume so. And that, you know, begs the question then. It's like, how are gods capable of creating monsters? Be a bad parent. Yeah, it's just... (laughs) Well, it was like more of the mechanics is like, it's not like you can... Well, I guess Medusa was made that way. She was transformed by Athena that way. But for the most part... Like, it's the gods or relatives of the gods like the Titans that give birth to monsters. That's why I liked the Echidna episode, because she's like, dude, we're all family. The distinction you make between us and monsters is not that large. So I do want to ask, Emma, what have you been thinking about the Medusa storyline so far? Because to me, that's been the most controversial aspect.
2: Yeah, I honestly, I really don't know how I feel about it, because I feel like the typical response to Medusa is very interesting just because i feel like a lot of people go off of ovid's Metamorphoses, mm-hmm. like interpretation of it of her being assaulted and then turned into a Morgan because of it i think it's interesting how rick is doing it how good old uncle rick is doing it in this case but so supposedly
1: in episode seven we're supposed to get this whole explanation of like or this, like, tie-up with Medusa's storyline. There is no reference to her whatsoever, and I will argue for a point where it could have been brought up as an actual talking point. So, that being said, I went back to the Variety article to be like, what was our sense of this? What was going on? And the reason I was really hung up was, like, not only was Procrustes let go, a literal serial killer. They just let go. Which differs from the book, because they probably figured out putting on screen the actual beheading Of someone that, while bad, if still viewed as human and a man, you can't do that,
0: apparently. So there's that. Yeah, it's very different from my kill-all-men stance in life. Right. That was also death from Supernatural. So shout out to him. I love him. Oh, okay. Well, and then, talking about parallels, we also have our
1: first face-off with a monster that's more animal-like, right? We had that with the Minotaur. Minotaur was slain without much afterthought. We figure out that Cerberus is just a big sweetheart and all you have to do is give him head scritches and throw his ball and you have defeated him
0: well Cerberus is he also has a job you know he sits there and also that's not how we do it in the books in the in the books they get down there and Annabeth has like a red rubber ball she took from Waterworld and she like chucks it um and so when he goes to get it that's when they sneak their way in. A perfectly humane way of dealing with a monster that literally tried to eat Grover. Okay, but they were coming into his home. Like Grover was in his mouth. They were the intruders in the mortal world. The Minotaur was. Were they not at Medusa's? Okay, that's a good one. But don't bring, but don't bring Medusa into this. You started talking about the Minotaur. <laughs> Oh, well, no, I was just comparing, like, we saw an
1: animal-like creature again, which we would sometimes feign less sense of guilt over for killing. And if you slayed him, he'd just get back up, right? He's already in the underworld. Where do they pop up from?
0: They actually reform in Tartarus. In Tartarus, okay. And then they make their way out. Like, in Book 5, we see Medusa again. Okay. For In the Battle of Manhattan. So arguably, would have been a great way to just get rid of Cerberus for a while, just... Stab him
1: in the heart. I say. No, we don't do that to Cerberus. That's, right That's what I'm saying. It's like, how can they? I'm glad they found the humane way to dealt with it. Why can't we do that with all
0: the monsters that we are showing to middle school students? Of like, hey, because we... the monsters are chasing them in the real world. They come to their homes to their schools. That's why Percy can't stay at one school because, like, they even say it at the end of the episode. Sally's like, a horse followed him to school. That's his school. They can fight. And the horse was nice. And he drew a picture of it. That is Blackjack. He has a name. We see him later again. He has like a thick New York accent. <laughs> okay. So my, my thing is, is
1: I liked Cerberus because it was really showing that like, we can humanely come up with solutions to these monsters that are being obstacles to us. And then I'm just like, why couldn't we have done? I And I'm not necessarily saying Medusa shouldn't have been slain. I almost kind of wished they would have pulled... The older trick of like using a mirror reflection to have her turn into stone instead of beheading her, because at least that could have been accidental or just like quickly you're trying to shield your eyes. And then there could have been like some remorse on part of the kids being like, that wasn't necessarily what we intended, but we're just trying to keep ourselves safe. Yeah, you can say the same thing about beheading someone. But
0: well, I mean, he was kind of just slashing at air. So it's kind of pure chance that he got her head now that I think about it. She was invisible, yes. But when you're slashing something with a
1: sword, you are expecting maiming at the very least. They
2: were, she was trying to kill him. She did also give them a chance in that episode. Like, she gave them a choice. Go with the fury or go with me. There's that. And
1: also just side with me against your parents. Which Annabeth should have probably chosen instead of calling her an outright liar. Oh. <sighs> That's
0: Annabeth's regret. That's why she gets trapped in the fields of Asphodel. Is that her regret? Or is her regret somehow tied to her family? I think it's both because I think the Medusa thing is going, is like inextricably tied to her family. That's her mother. Like what is such a tangible regret to me? It's not like um, I shouldn't have been idolizing my mother. A tangible regret is more like I told a victim they were a liar to their face. And now I know that I was wrong.
1: I hope that that is in fact the direction they're going to take it because that's the only way I've seen... Um, like progress with the storyline is through Annabeth's growth. So I, I hope your interpretation is correct because my my sense was what I knew from the books is like she's grappling with the thought of like being away from her. F- family, right? She ran away from home. She doesn't want to go back and give them a chance. She's lived at Camp Half-Blood Hurt. Like, she lives there 24-7, right? I thought the regret might be coming from was the fact that, like, she ran away from her family. Oh, I didn't think about that at all. So I like your... If, like, that's the direction they're going, great.
0: If it's the other way, then they will have effed it up pretty badly. I definitely think that's what's happening because they said they would revisit it, and I don't find it... Like, I also would not confess... I think I called an abuse survivor a liar while, like, we were on a time-sensitive mission and I was being held down by some foliage, you know? I think I would save that for a heart-to-heart at a later time.
1: Yeah. No, like I said, I really hope that is what they do, because I think that's a better interpretation of it, for sure.
0: Chekhov and his gun will be rolling in his grave if they don't. Yeah. So, tied in with all of this, because, like, the the tie-in was supposed
1: to be with... Sally, right? Like we were going to get this flashback with Sally and Poseidon that we were supposed to understand something more about Medusa with that. So I went back and pulled up that quote. There's a third act to that subplot of Medusa and Poseidon and Sally that you haven't seen it yet. It comes in episode seven, a really powerful flashback scene where you see Sally and Poseidon together, Rick says. What's most interesting to me about episode three is where it positions Medusa with respect to Sally and an awareness that they both dated the same guy and had very different experiences. Steinberg says, I like that the story perceives that the relationship from Percy's point of view, it's not entirely clear. Did they love each other? It seems like they did. But what went wrong? Did anything go wrong? Is it possible that Medusa had an awful experience with Poseidon and Sally didn't? And my whole thing with that is like, that shouldn't matter if what Poseidon did to to Medusa was truly terrible, whether it was abuse or whether it was just abandonment of her after she was abused by Athena instead. Because there's no, there's nothing within Medusa's background story. She made it seem like Poseidon cared
0: about her. And then Medusa was left all by herself, right? I did pick something up. Okay, so in the scene, she summons him somehow by like lighting a match and then like dropping it in the water and rain starts coming down. Pause, pause. I can explain that really quick.
1: It's um, sacrifices is smoke, Ooh. the smell. Oh, they want the good smell. So she sent him a
0: sundae. Okay, that makes sense. <laughs> I just wasn't understanding the match part. I was like, there's no fire here. Okay, do you think any kind of smoke could, could count as a sacrifice? The, that was the
1: idea is that general sacrifices to the gods you burned because the smoke rose and supposedly sent the good smells to them. So that was that was the idea.
0: Okay. First episode when Percy gets home, what is happening? Sally is sitting outside in the rain, smoking a cigarette. Hmm. That's a good point. I think she was talking to Poseidon. And that's why we have that whole like Olivia Rodrigo heartbreak song going on. <laughs> yep. Like two plus two equals five. I'm the love of your life. But... But the rain and this is the sun.
1: Yep. Okay. So I agree with you. These these men, these creators of this Medusa plot line, have just been like, well, Percy's being shooketh by the fact that, like, oh, my dad might have treated someone poorly. And then somehow that was also gonna translate into like maybe something's wrong with my mom because she's with that guy. And I'm like, you also had her with Gabe, so I don't know what's what else you could say about she's not good at relationships, at the very least, with adult men.
2: Well the the gay situation currently
0: currently for the people who can't see I know you're both making faces. Mine at and it. Emma's Yeah. <laughs> me and Emma and I look horrified. We're like, yeah listen, Sally's got her problems, but she's a Well ugh. but like that's just it.
1: Is it a great relationship with her son? Because We have this whole flashback scene that Hermes had alluded to in the previous episode, right? Like, arguably, this is Sally at one of her lowest moments as a parent. And um, so I have a clip from that. Let me play that real quick.
0: Have you considered homeschool?
2: Homeschool. I know. It sounds overwhelming, but there are resources to help. It's a real option. Some children are better off being with their parent.
0: I'm sorry, but no, I uh, I cannot accept that as an answer. So let's, you and I, figure out a way
1: to make this work. And I, I liked in that moment when you see the actual clip, like, you see Percy, young Percy, actually light up for a moment at the thought he could just stay with his mom and be homeschooled by her. And I, I kind of have this question, too, of, like, why is she so concerned for his safety that she's moving him from school to school and doesn't consider like homeschooling a real option. Like why does she feel she has to be separate? Like she talks about later not being able to stay in the city with him. Why does she need to stay in the city? Is it tied to work specifically? I'm not saying it's easy to, for her to relocate somewhere for the safety of her son, but like, I don't understand this compared to other instances we've seen between her and Percy.
0: Uh, Okay. I'm going to come at this from two angles. Um, and we can handle the angle of like in story that like demigods aren't supposed to stay in one place for too long because that attracts monsters and stuff. But I also feel like I don't know. Have have you ever tried homeschooling a problem kid with ADHD, Christy? No, it's it's inc- it's incredibly hard. Yeah. Um. And but so it's it's hard at schools too, isn't it? Depending. That's why she's sending him to this school. Yeah, but it's, it can be relationship breaking. And also a school is a whole staff of people who can take care of someone. They have stuff on hand. Homeschooling is hard. You have to buy all the materials yourself. And it's very hard with like kids with learning disabilities. You like, that's, that's kind of, homeschooling is expensive too. Like school is expensive, but homeschooling is also expensive. And homeschooling can like ruin your relationship with people because like, if you're the authoritarian all the time, it's going to ruin your relationship with someone. Yeah, that's a good point. And homeschooling is... I would not have wished someone homeschooling me on my worst enemy. And my worst enemies are my parents. You know, I, I definitely... I've always actually felt that before. And then recently
1: I saw interviews with more often children of color who are in school systems that just are more problematic than being at home. And that's only our homeschool system would have to be totally overhauled and to actually doing checks on children to make sure they're okay and stuff. Because yeah, a lot of abuse is hidden through the homeschool system. But for some children, that could be a benefit. And you're right, I don't know about learning disabilities how much more difficult that could be to manage and put a strain on the parent-child
0: relationship so um sally is also a working woman mm -hmm. who has no other family she doesn't really have the money to just stop her job and raise percy um that's why i was curious because like i don't know
1: enough about
0: i don't know enough about her of like what does she do um that well it says in the first episode that she's the only one in the house that works i mean if if you see, like, a woman with her son, you're, you're going to assume that, like, like she has oh, yeah. to be working in order to keep them alive. I don't know. I feel like that was a little bit of a privileged take about, like, why not just homeschool him?
1: Well, the, that my question was he was interested in that. Like, you could see that in the clip. Like, he wanted that option more than being sent away. But I bring that up more because I think what Sally's failure isn't, isn't because she decided to homeschool him. It's because she hasn't explained to him and even if she's hiding all of the, the God stuff, she hasn't explained this enough to him to not feel traumatized by this decision, right? Sally's failed on some level to empathize with where he's coming from, which she has successfully been shown to do later, right? When, like in episode one, she was much more emotionally intelligent. In this one, she's just much more of like, unlock the car. Don't make these last moments nasty. Like it was a lot more like, like I said, more realistic parenting moments, it felt like, but also it was Sally at her worst because she hasn't. I mean, Percy just looks distraught this whole time. She has in no way convinced him that like this is going to make him feel safe. This is going to make him feel comforted. And so that's why I brought up the homeschool thing, because if you look at the clip again, he does seem like that option was really appealing to him and she hasn't gone to explain why that wouldn't actually be good for both of them i think that's that was actually more where i was coming at of like why hasn't every option been explored with percy and explained to him of like why is this the best option how do you
0: explain to a seven-year-old that you live in poverty i don't know womp womp
1: but you don't have to explain that necessarily either right like it's more of just failing to can not, but like he's scared enough, like he's locking the door, he's not talking. Like, this is not a good reaction from a child whatsoever.
0: Yeah, but it's also not the first time it's happened. Like, we know Percy goes to multiple schools, that he's been kicked out of like seven schools in seven years. Um, do we, so it's probably like, do we, I, I assume she was. Like, do we watching the show know that?
1: Is that brought up? That was brought up in episode one, right? As part of the disciplinary hearing? Yeah.
0: Okay. Yes. Um, so, like, I imagine she was a lot more patient the first few times around, but at some point, it's like, there is no other way to make this work, and we've talked about that, and you need to get out of the car. I don't want to make this ugly. Um, it's, it's very hard. I actually, I, I was hard on Sally about, like, the pool episode. This episode actually made me really come around to her because it just reminded me a lot of my childhood, honestly, um. It's like it's it's hard, mm-hmm. um, and I've been the kid who doesn't who locks the door and refuses to get out of the car. And at some point, you're you do grow up and you understand it. Yeah. Um, this actually made me feel a lot more charitable towards Sally. Um, for a second, I was actually worried that they were gonna like take it in a weird revenge storyline that I'll leave you in hell because you, you didn't let me be homeschooled. I was actually worried about that for a second.
1: Yeah. I, I think that's interesting, too. why
0: why put in this subplot? well it's it's a parallel he's 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 understanding that sometimes you have to do things you don't want to and sometimes you have to leave people behind even when you don't want to. Mm. but you'll see them again later and you can fix it. yeah,
1: Emma, what have you thought about the whole <laughs> Sally Percy relationship uh, in this?
2: I think in the show, it's very interesting. I I do like the flashbacks because I'm also going to talk a lot about the book just because that's what I grew up on. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, just to preface that. That's all we do, babe. Okay. It's okay, good. I mean, yeah, just wanted to make sure. But I feel like I do like the background, like flashbacks and everything between Sally and Percy, because I feel like uh, like in the first episode when they talk about trying to make sure that Percy is like prepared for all of this and... I think it might have been a conversation between Percy and Annabeth. I can't remember exactly, but he's having a conversation with someone and he's like, yeah. someone criticized, I think his mom not preparing him enough, but I feel like by seeing the flashbacks and things like that, where he's kind of like getting the idea that, oh yeah, Sally did do what she was supposed to do in some shape or form. Like, whether it be tell- mm-hmm. like the Kansas quote, I liked that one. I thought oh, that was yeah. kind of funny. Like the, we're not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> that was yeah. funny. We left Kansas four days ago. <laughs> Autistic
1: queen. And the fact, exactly. I also love the fact that, uh, like, part of that preparing him is like, yeah, I read the Odyssey, the graphic novel. And it's like, yeah, that's exactly, you know, if my kid's not into reading, reading, but loves comics and stuff, that's how I would introduce the Odyssey to him. The one other point about this flashback scene, I wanted to bring up what I think would have worked really well, because um, I'll play the clip, is if part of, the misgiving Sally had about introducing Percy to the world is the fact, like, calling out Poseidon. Because, like, Poseidon's expected to be called out in this moment, right? We're supposed to see, like, how cruel uh, this relationship that gods have with mortals can be because, like, Sally's having to make this really hard decision and leave her son behind at her school. And she could have in that moment called out "It's like, I know what you did to Medusa. Like, even if, like, they actually cared about each other, there wasn't any abuse. The fact that, like, Poseidon abandoned her after Athena had cursed her, right? Like, why would I put my faith in you to take care of us when, like, I've seen what you've done to other women you've been with? So, like, why not call it out in that moment, Um, And instead, this is this was her reasoning, which I still think works. But like, if you were going to really tie in the Medusa element and just having a little bit of critique of Poseidon's role in the whole debacle, it would have been the moment to do it. So here it is. I want him
0: to know who he is. Before your family tries to tell him who they want him to be. He is better than that. He has better things in him than that.
2: Then I think you have your answer. He's going to go to school. And he's going to learn things that you can't teach him. And it's going to be hard for the both of you. It's going to be torture for the both of you. But he will be stronger for it on the other side. His mother raised him well.
1: And I'm just like, that could have been the moment, right? That she's not even calling up a She's like, your family. I don't want your family to define... What you know, who Percy is going to be? And right after this, she invites she she says, "Hey, do you want to go? you have a chance to meet him? Why not call out and be like, "I don't fully trust you to be a good role model for my son. i I see what your family does, and I don't want them to define who he is. And instead, we just get a very supportive Poseidon in a very sexy Aussie accent, <laughs> yeah, that was strangely supportive, right? They always put an accent on someone they want you to trust or distrust, depending on the accent. But like you said, it, Christy, the sexy not me. Aussie accent, <laughs> you're supposed to trust mm. that one. Hugh Jackman has tricked us all, exactly. Right? I I think this would have been the moment. Sally knows her story. Sally told the story of Medusa to Percy, so why not call it out in this moment? If you were saying that you were going to make that subplot like connected to Medusa, and instead we just like. Oh, yeah, he did something terrible to Medusa, but look how great he is with Sally. And don't worry, he'll be there for Percy when Percy really needs him. And that's my diatribe.
0: He'll finally come back with milk. Yeah. <laughs> that's a long trip to the grocery store. So uh, agree? Disagree? Am I am I the only one that feels like no, that up. would have been the moment? He's Yeah, it's very strangely pro-Poseidon um, for a moment that it's supposed to like highlight it. Like, that's actually, I forgot that we were supposed to see a scene where, like, about between Poseidon and Sally, so that actually, like, surprised me. The only thing I really interpreted as, like, about Medusa or the gods' wrongdoings was Annabeth getting ensnared in the fields of Asphodel, which is different from the books because in the fields, they're literally just standing around doing nothing. Okay, so, fun fact, I have a tattoo of Asphodel's on my leg
1: because um, they grow natively in Greece and... I liked it because they're associated with the underworld and Persephone, but also what's interesting about the Asphodel Fields is like that's where you go when you never did anything especially good or especially bad. And it's actually not really viewed favorably. So I also kind of use it as a reminder that like neutrality isn't always the best answer to things. Sometimes it's better to make a decision for good or
2: bad. So That's a I, quote. I'll slap that on a T-shirt. That's good. <laughs> okay, can I ask a question? Can I do devil's advocate? Yeah. Wouldn't you say doing nothing is still a choice, though? Like, even if it's just a very passive it is. one, it's, it's
1: the neutral. It's the neutral choice, right? Like, so neutrality is a very real choice you can make, but it's neither going to sink you in the pits of Tartarus, which is where you go, like Sisyphus, nor does it get you into the Elysian Fields. It's it's its own place. So you kind of have to decide for yourself, you know, what do you want in the end? What do you want what do you want your decisions to lead to? Um so neutrality is a very real choice.
2: Sometimes I just feel like doing nothing is still a bad thing. Because it's like if you can do something about something, but you choose to do nothing, it's like, What are you doing? Yeah. Well, clearly nothing, but Yeah. Um, so I thought that
1: Grover's explanation was was almost a good explanation because he's like, oh, it's regrets. So it's like, well, it's not necessarily regrets. It's like regrets for decisions you made or for decisions you haven't made. And I'm like, okay, that's a little bit more accurate in terms of like the choices you make, decisions you make, good or bad. Um, and that like not making a decision can also lead you to be trapped in the fields of Asphodel. And so that's, I really, like, Hannah, I am so hoping that your interpretation of Annabeth getting stuck there is correct. And I'm so fearful if they go the other direction, because it it would help that subplot with Medusa a lot if that's what her regret was Mm -hmm. overall. Uh, That's what I think it is. Well, I'll give us a little bit more background on uh, the Domos Haidu, or um, the House of Hades, um, it's the land of the dead, the final resting place for departed souls. It's a dark and dismal realm where bodiless ghosts flitted across the gray fields of Asphodel. And that was the earliest interpretation of the underworld. There wasn't really these separations into like the really bad place and the like us. Oh, actually, kind of nice to be here. The dead were often described roaming aco- across the fields of Asphodel, which is a pale gray plant. It is edible, but very bland. And the ancient rega- the ancients regarded it as a food of last resort. And then the Homeric poems, uh, like Hymns to Demeter and, of course, the Iliad and the Odyssey, uh, they didn't ever mention the Elysian fields or the Tartian hell. Rather, all shades, heroes and villains alike came to rest in the gloom of Hades. And then it gets people want more from their afterlife, so they fleshed it out a little bit more over the years. Um, and eventually, there's certain mystery cults that fully develop the concept of reincarnation because they're like, yeah, no one wants to stay down there for like ever. And then, I don't know the the one other question I kind of had was uh, this this change of character for Hades i'm kind of interested in this history this idea of the disney's hercules hades being like oh i am gonna overthrow my brothers because i hate it down here but i feel like more modern romances with hades and persephone very much painted as like nah this is a pretty sweet gig we don't have to deal with all the shenanigans of the olympians up top so i don't know what do you guys think they went with this interpretation of them this time
2: Part of me wonders, like, for me at least, part of me wonders if they were trying to come straight away from, like, the Hercules perception of Hades just because it feels like in that one, like, yes, he's a villain, but he also just feels like more, like, comedic relief. And it it feels hard to take him seriously, at least in that movie. But I feel like in this one, he's a little bit more self-aware and, like, not wanting to do the whole shenanigan thing. Um, Yeah. So I feel like in a way, they're respecting Hades a little bit more for, like, who he is and his job. Yeah.
0: I liked him. He was just he's very nonchalant for a character that is very chalant all the time. Mm-hmm. He is deeply upset and angry about everything all the time. Yeah. Um so in like the Lotus Hotel, something like you have to really strain to hear is at some point you can hear a little kid going, Bianca, Bianca, um, uh-huh. in the background. And that's because um Hades' children, Nico and Bianca, are in the Lotus Hotel and Casino at the moment. And they've been there for like 70 years. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And so he takes them out because he's like, he's like, oh, so we're getting a war. It's time for the prophecy. What about my children? Who I've had hidden away this entire time. Oh, okay. So this was my other question about
1: this scene between Odyssey and Hades. Mm-hmm. I know that Hannah, you've talked about the concept of the fatal flaw. It feels like they fully removed that
0: from this series. Especially in this moment, because this was supposed to be like a big moment of that, right? Well, so the fatal flaw, once again, supporting evidence as to why the Titans' curse is the best of the books. Um, we don't actually hear the term "fatal flaw" like being applied to them in any way until the third book. I am jumping okay. the gun. So, but they we have seen them demonstrate it. One thing um, that at least I interpreted as them demonstrating their fatal flaws: Percy's is extreme personal loyalty. He will let the world burn for the people he loves, and he will destroy himself for the people mm-hmm. he loves. And Annabeth's is pride. Um, so we have Percy sitting his ass down in that golden chair, knowing damn well he's not getting back up. And then Annabeth, like scuttering, scuttling around to like she ha- she's convinced like maybe I can make this god's trap work backwards. Mm-hmm. I can do it. Nice. So I thought that was like a nice little demonstration of their fatal flaws, even if we haven't actually like clocked them on it yet. I I think you're right. That might have been why they changed the trap that they
1: did for episode, what, uh, five, episode five. They changed the trap to reflect the flaws because it kind of got removed in this moment instead then, right? Like Percy actively makes the decision to not sacrifice himself. He's like, nah, I'll take the other deal. See you later. And off we go. And then, so my understanding for the whole Tartarus pit thing, I thought it was the shoes dragging him. It was, it was the
0: the wing of shoes dragging him in. In the books, Luke asks Percy over like Iris message. He's like, "Oh, are you liking the shoes?" And Percy doesn't want to tell him, "No, I'm not wearing the gift you gave me." So he's like, "Oh yeah, they're great." So yeah, it, it's a booby trap. Um, shout out to like the people on TikTok who have never read or seen Percy Jackson and don't know Luke is the traitor. Um, because I love coming across <laughs> their little slideshows, like, ranking my favorite characters, who I think is the traitor. And it's just, like, Claire Reese. She's definitely got something against him. She does, but it's it's not this. I was gonna say, and it's
1: like, that, isn't that too obvious? Like, and she can't really... How much of a traitor can she be if, like, Percy's not even friends with her?
0: A lot of people think it's Grover. But Gro-
1: Grover's an angel. I know. Hey, but as we saw in his conversation with Ares... He's got a conniving little mind in this series. Uh, yeah, He knows oh, yeah. He, he knows his way around a conversation if he needs to... I bet you that's the one that like made people question who don't know that it's Luke. They're like, dude,
0: I saw what you did with Ares there. I, <laughs> I saw that reverse psychology you were pulling. I will say, Luke gave himself away in the episode because they tell them we know who the lightning thief is and he doesn't say, oh, who is it? He says, how do you know? He's given up the game right there. Oh. Uh. So I guess what I was going to ask you guys, um, what
1: are your predictions for the final episode? You have some book information, but they've definitely not stuck to it specifically. So what do you predict for the final episode?
2: Mm. Um, I'm really hoping that, let's just say Medusa's head makes an appearance. And there wants to be um, a poker player garden statue that gets yes. sold somewhere. Um, I wouldn't object to that. (laughs) This is my lost face.
1: Very
0: lost. (laughs) Read the the books. They included this in the movie. (laughs) Um, So basically what they do with Medusa's head is it's they're like, Oh, what happened to Medusa's head? It went to a better place. The better place is that Sally no longer has to work because she becomes rich and able to focus on writing a novel because she sells this intricate stone statue of a poker player, and she makes so much money off of it. Oh, unfortunately, it's the only work the artist has ever released. She straight up kills the abuser. That's why. That's one of the reasons I love Percy Jackson so much. She just kills him. Rick Warren just killed the abuser and sold his body for money. All right. Okay. Good to know. So, so wait. Sally ends up with Medusa's
1: hair, or just like ends up just with... briefly. Okay. That could be it interesting. Has like a quick then. use.
0: Yeah. Okay. I would allow that. I mean that would come around as like a protecting Um, she said like um, Medusa was saying that her and Sally are sisters in a way and that could come
2: around as like a moment of protection that could be a great plot twist yeah. like to end the storyline maybe or at least acknowledge yeah. more of the Medusa storyline
0: I could see Annabeth coming up with that or like Annabeth and Percy like collaborating on that oh. you, Like I feel like yeah like to right her wrongs or at least attempt to that would be beautiful yeah I would like that that would make me happier. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> for sure. Full circle. Sitting he here. Like, us. I'm just like sitting here. Hashtag justice for Medusa. I really need more justice for her.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hannah, any other predictions on your part? In the book, Luke like surprises Percy with a scorpion. Um and like puts it on him and then he makes his escape. I feel like they'll mm-hmm. probably change that up somehow. Um, to make it more thematic. But I also
1: think that the series has been really trying to set up Luke as a more sympathetic character so like for it's, sure it's kind of like Zuko, right? You you're rooting for the bad boy to learn learn better ways. All right, uh yeah, I just wanted to do one final call out from the variety article that I was frustrated with. Um it mentions uh in regards to the original film as a 12-year-old boy in 2005, I don't think he had the bandwidth for deconstructing the patriarchy, adds Rick. He was looking at it as, this is a scary woman who's trying to turn me into stone. And you know what? I'm not asking the 12-year-old boy to dismantle the patriarchy. I'm asking the grown men to reflect upon it and incorporate that into their writing. That is all I will say on that front. Ooh, burn. And uh, with that... A uh, special thanks to Emma for joining us today. We'll be back next week to react and analyze episode eight, the final episode for season one of Percy Jackson and the Olympians. We will also be doing a recording with the whole crew to talk about the series in its entirety. And finally, as I mentioned, there are plans to
0: revisit the first Percy Jackson film. As for you listeners, you can find us on most major streaming platforms as well as com. Please like, review and subscribe if you like what you hear. You can also follow on Instagram, Facebook, and Blue Sky under some variation of the handle at Let us know what you thought about the trios and catavysis.
2: Talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Bye.